Hello, I'm Greg, and welcome to a talkback episode for Walk the Earth number 26. I recently shared a talkback for Walk the Earth 25 looking at Easter Sunday as a topic. That one was originally released in, call it early April of 2015, and this one was the very next episode of Walk the Earth, kind of bookends on a particular topic. It came out in May of 2015, and it was answering the question of whether the Holy Spirit deserves more recognition as God working in our lives. Now, I don't know, as I look back at this particular Walk the Earth question, whether I would think that the question and the way I answered it was necessarily particularly evangelical, in the traditional sense of the word, not in the political sense of the word, because I was addressing just as much the problem I see inside churches, in fact, inside churches that politically refer to themselves as evangelical, often as not, where the churches don't seem to recognize the role the Holy Spirit plays, because it to them seems like it's probably a dangerous thing that um, someone praying, listening to the guidance of the Lord from prayer, and reacting actively to that guidance might just let you drift too far astray from the rules. You could almost set it up as a dichotomy where the rules are on one side conceptually, and God incarnate, God in the form of the Holy Spirit in particular, kind of on the opposite side of that, uh, of that coin, not necessarily leading us to follow the rules all the time. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, or sometimes the rules writ large, where the rules writ smaller, should be ignored. This was an example that Jesus set, and is recorded in the Gospels in several places, of Jesus and his disciples getting themselves in trouble with the religious authorities, because in the minds of the religious authorities, they were not following the rules about when they ate, or whether they should heal people on the Sabbath, or things of that nature. And Jesus was having to constantly remind them that he was following his father's set of rules, not necessarily the set of rules that this particular set of authorities throughout centuries had elected to follow and enforce, if not upon themselves, certainly upon other people. This is a somewhat unrelated story, but I think I'll tell it just to provide some kind of introduction, I suppose, to a talkback episode. My purpose with talkbacks is to bring Inappropriate Conversations episodes recorded before the middle of the year 2017 forward and represent them for the current audience. Uh, for an audience on Spotify, for example, that was sort of the inspiration to do it, but also just to manage both Spotify and other podcatchers with a specific set of shows. Now, this once was a relatively small list of a, of a couple dozen. It's now grown to something like 100, and I will continue to grow it. But the idea was to pick a new starting point and move forward from there. So it gives me the opportunity in a talkback format to reintroduce a show with either fresh material or with a point of view on current events that I you know, didn't have. Could I, how could I possibly have known what the current events in 2021 would, would be six years ago? And this is probably a good example of both. We are now, as I'm recording, living in a world where the the United States Centers for Disease Control have put out new guidance on dealing with the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that has literally changed the way we live over the last year and maybe two months. About a month ago, though, that CDC guidance was not in place. So we're living in these in-between times where, on one level, we're supposed to wear masks whenever we go out in public, 
to protect ourselves, to protect other people, to send the right message about how important it is to protect ourselves and protect other people. And frankly, even in light of the news of the day where the CDC has relaxed those requirements, perhaps relaxing them as a way of encouraging people who are reluctant to get vaccinated to go ahead and get vaccinated. Because the new rule is you don't really need a mask in public if you've been fully vaccinated. Well, I'm, I've been fully vaccinated. Had shot number one, waited four weeks. Had shot number two, waited two weeks. I should be as safe as I'm going to get from a vaccine perspective. I may still wear the mask in public, though, as a way of trying to set the right message until such point in time that the wearing of the mask in public itself becomes a stumbling block. If there were now an anti-vaccine, an anti-vax movement so powerful in this country that this group of people started wearing masks intentionally as a form of protest against the idea or the execution of getting vaccinated, well, then I'd have to make sure I wasn't associating myself with such people. But let's be honest, probably true that the kind of people who are less likely to get vaccinated because of paranoid delusions or other reasons are also the kinds of people who think that wearing masks will get you sick or other such conspiracy theory nonsense. But I was in line outside an ice cream shack about three, four weeks ago, uh, past the point or right at the point where I was quote-unquote fully vaccinated, having waited two weeks after the last of the two shots. And there really was not necessarily any reason why I needed to wear a mask, except that that has been the policy in the state that I live in, and I was honoring that policy. I was probably one of almost two dozen people who were in the parking lot, or waiting in line to pay and place an order, or waiting in line to pick up their ice cream in the other window. This is a traditional kind of middle America version of a summertime ice cream shack. And if I was the 25th person in that crowd, then there might only have been one or two other people in the entire crowd wearing a mask. And kind of got the vibe that my wearing a mask was sort of an issue. That there were people who felt like I wasn't like them and I didn't fit in with them because I was wearing a mask. And at some point I got uncomfortable enough about the dynamic that I thought, you know, this isn't worth the wait for an ice cream cone. I'm just going to leave. And I'm concerned now with somewhat confusing guidance from the CDC with sort of a a split set of rules. If you've done this, you're allowed to not have a mask on, but if you haven't, you're supposed to wear a mask. But there's no way to tell who has and who hasn't. And even if some sort of scarlet letter approach were to be made where either people who've been vaccinated wear a sign or people who haven't wear a sign, there's it's the honor system. And right now we're not living in particularly honorable times. So in light of that, I would describe my decision and that situation as me being uncomfortable by the surroundings I was in, praying about it silently to myself, and receiving the guidance from the Holy Spirit that the wise approach would be to navigate myself away from that situation, to bypass the temporary pleasure of sugar-free ice cream and go home or go somewhere else, which I did. It is easy to associate that conceptually with intuition, and from my perspective, intuition and faith are very closely related to each other. I choose to see it as an element of faith, I choose to see it as a response to prayer, but I would understand someone else viewing it in a slightly different way. Again, my issue with this particular question, and how the answer to this question influenced my decision to move from one church to another, 
wasn't really about how uh, what we might call an unbelieving world would interpret the relationship of intuition and faith. It was more about the fact that that a lot of Christians seem to undermine both of those concepts by not putting any sort of trust, or at least not giving lip service to their trust in the Holy Spirit. These have been trying times. I am now, I believe, in the first, for really for the first time, feeling the burden of the pandemic and the lockdown. And I realize that I'm feeling it because it has directly affected not just my podcast recording, editing, and releasing schedule, but the schedule itself. It would be one thing if I had just not planned on doing anything in the month of April because I was concerned about just my overall workload and work-life balance and other issues. No, I've now gotten to the point where I've had at least two completely planned brand new episodes that simply didn't get recorded because I simply didn't have the bandwidth to make the recordings. Initial research has been done, information has been gathered, but that information needs to be sculpted. It needs to be put in a sequence so I can tell the next story I want to tell. And as at the moment of this recording, I do not know when that will happen. Right now, work-life balance, um, just the issue of having been in lockdown for more than a year, and not knowing when the next moment of inspiration will come, has, I'll acknowledge, put an impact on the release of brand new material for either inappropriate conversations or walk the earth. To that, I'll simply say, thank God for talkback episodes and that schedule, which isn't that far afield of what I originally planned. Thanks for listening. Whether the Holy Spirit deserves more recognition as God working in our lives. What's you going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. In the previous Walk the Earth question related to whether Easter is the most important holiday on the Christian calendar, I kind of gave away my answer to this question about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our lives being insufficiently recognized. So I'll just say right up front, the answer to this question is going to be yes. And I'll be surprised if by the time we don't get to the end of this particular Walk the Earth, we don't decide that the answer to the question is actually a resounding yes. And I want to start it off by looking at things from a somewhat more social perspective. Because I've spoken about the Holy Spirit, and I've named the Holy Spirit a different drummer, all the way back in Inappropriate Conversations 12, which was an episode of that particular podcast looking, frankly, at the Holy Spirit in a very direct way. So it's not like I haven't spoken about this before as Greg. And I think, as most people know, listening to either Walk the Earth or Inappropriate Conversations, every podcast I've ever recorded is still available online via the original Podbean site that I set up years ago, 2010. 
You can find it at www.inappropriateconversations.org. And uh, episode 12 probably would have fallen sometime in the early part of the summer all those years ago. But I think what I want to hit it from this angle. I, I read something that a person who's been part of one of these church organizations that I've done ministry with in the past put online a very strident position that God is perfect, therefore God's word is perfect, therefore God's word never changes, therefore there's no room for reinterpretation, therefore whatever they say the Old Testament said matters, and the implication is that nothing Jesus has done since or said since has any real role to play, that Jesus doesn't get to reinterpret anything that we might have gotten from the Torah, for example. And certainly their position would be that the Holy Spirit has absolutely no role to play. So that is kind of why I think this particular Walk the Earth topic is so important, because the stakes are that high. You actually have Christians saying things online, and at times saying things in person, suggesting that, yeah, maybe Jesus wasn't God incarnate after all. Or if Jesus was God, he doesn't have the authority to provide a new perspective on Jewish law. And let's not, well, they wouldn't get anywhere near the Holy Spirit. I intend to get pretty close to the Holy Spirit today in this particular question. So I want to start with answering the question of whether or not Jesus, just to start with Jesus, has the authority to reinterpret what I might describe as a misinterpretation of Old Testament law. I'm not sure what this friend of mine online would say if, if I was having this conversation with her face-to-face. Uh, which I think she'd probably object to the idea of me suggesting there's been some misinterpretation or reinterpretation. But clearly, that's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. If I just go and skip my way through Matthew chapter 5 and just focus on that one chapter alone, Jesus has a very interesting turn of phrase that he uses. And his turn of phrase comes down to the idea of saying, you have a point of view about the Torah, a point of view about the law, a point of view about what I might describe as Old Testament scripture. And whatever your interpretation is, doesn't get to be right just because you are quoting the words accurately. And of course, it goes without saying, it certainly doesn't get to be right if you're misquoting the words. Starting with verse 21 of chapter 5, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Later on in verse 27, Jesus starts his phrase this way, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jumping forward to verse 31, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The very next verse, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Once again, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. More than a handful of times, in just this one passage of the Bible, Jesus is telling people that you have quoted the Old Testament scripture to me, and I am telling you that by the Spirit of the Lord in me, you have misinterpreted. You've cut it short. You've narrowed it down. You've read out of context. You've focused on provisions and missed the rest of the story. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you instead. This notion of Jesus saying, you've read it in the Old Testament, It's been handed down to you from ancient times, but I'm giving you a different interpretation of that scripture. Certainly means that it is foolish for anyone to suggest that we are stuck with somebody's previous traditional understanding of a text. That at the very least, we're going to grant Jesus a little bit of leeway here and perhaps read these passages his way. His turn the other cheek, walk the second mile, love your enemies, don't turn away the beggar worldview. And how often is it, frankly, that we we get passages from the Old Testament quoted to us? There are passages like an eye for an eye, for example. Passages that suggest we should not care for people who can't take care of themselves. Passages that read in a harsh black and white sense, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount doesn't just introduce gray, he introduces shades of white and shades of black that his listeners had probably up to that point never imagined before. So I introduced this topic, this notion of you have heard that it was said, but I tell you this, because this does still occur in modern times. It occurs in modern times through the Holy Spirit. And clearly the Holy Spirit does not get the respect that God himself so clearly deserves from the church today. So I want to kind of lay out uh, a little bit of the lay of the land by looking at the Facebook page for Walk the Earth. You can interact with Walk the Earth just like you might with inappropriate conversations. I can be found on Twitter as at IC underscore Greg, posting things and speaking to both of these podcasts simultaneously under the one Twitter name. But from the Facebook perspective, I've got a separate page for inappropriate conversations listed as a cause and another page for Walk the Earth. The Walk the Earth page, I believe, is listed uh, as a uh, society and culture website. But I want to kind of mention the things that I put out there here lately that are on the Walk the Earth page, because for both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, what I do is I prepare myself for an upcoming topic 
is when I find things that I think are right on target, I'll share them to the page. I shared a song a couple of weeks ago uh, that in English is translated as Come, Holy Spirit, Come. Definitely a way that I prepare for this particular topic because not only do I take the Holy Spirit seriously, I can be in many ways accused of taking the Holy Spirit more seriously than a lot of very devout Christians that I know. There's a different drummer that I've named in the first year or so of, of the Inappropriate Conversations podcast called Hank Hanegraaff, who is the president and uh, the spokesperson for the Christian Research Institute. And I wonder sometimes if that group doesn't spend as much time talking against the Holy Spirit as in favor of the Holy Spirit. In a review that I read online about the United Methodist Church's Alpha program, particularly the Alpha program as it came from Great Britain, they were okay with the concept, okay with most of the materials, but they, they got a little bit hesitant about the, the, the Holy Spirit's role, that they might have been happy if, happier if that part of the curriculum of the Alpha uh, program was just lifted right out. Likewise, when it comes to the, uh, the, walk, the walk to Emmaus program through Cokesbury, through the United Methodist Conference, the same thing, that that was where they didn't really like the, uh, the short course in Christianity that was being covered there. They were a little hesitant to endorse that because of the conversation around the Holy Spirit. And this is a group that's job is to speak up for Orthodox Christian views in the face of, of aberrant Christianity. And the Lord knows there's a ton of aberrant Christianity out there. You need to do little more than turn into you know, Christian television networks like Trinity Broadcasting to find a ton of very curious, suspicious, or doubtright wrong views about Scripture and about dogma. It's not an orthodox vision of Christianity you tend to see there. And yet, here's, uh, again, this topic of the Holy Spirit being viewed so skeptically. So to look at that Facebook page, I guess I would start with just dropping what those references are. I posted a link to a strategic monk blog from May 9th called Spiritual Life is Not About Following Rules. I'm guessing that if some of these larger sort of uh, parachurch organizations struggle with the Holy Spirit conceptually and and find themselves being very wary of it, it's really on, on this particular point that following the Holy Spirit is at times going to lead you away from what the Christian crowd says you should do. And for people who are legalistic, who are obsessed with creating or identifying and following rules, uh, the fact that the Holy Spirit is a bit unpredictable is, is a personality. Is a, it's a wild card for them. So I thought that would be an interesting post. I also posted a link to a podcast from Max Lucado that I think he put out there on May 1st called Letting God's Spirit Lead. Both of those linked on the Walk the Earth page. But the two that I really want to focus on, one I just did here recently, and it's a link, just a, it's kind of a meme, I guess is how you'd word it, with a quote that says, the best teachers are those who show you where to look, but don't tell you what to see. See, the reason there's so, um, so much uncertainty even within the church around the Holy Spirit is that that is a pretty good description from my perspective on how the Holy Spirit functions. Telling Christians where to look, but not necessarily, not necessarily just telling us what to see, what to think, exactly what to do. Being led to water, but perhaps not being told to drink. That idea. And of course, right now, we're dealing with a modern Christian church in America that is, I would say obsessed with certainty, obsessed with the concept of certainty almost to the, ex almost to the extent of, of, her of heresy. It's become more important to be sure of something than it is to be genuine about it. 
Whereas most people through the history of the church have been quite quite frank about suggesting, at least the thinkers have been quite frank about suggesting that that faith and doubt go together, and that someone who pretends to have no doubt perhaps actually has no faith. The other one, similar in concept, a sort of an online image with a quote, a meme, if you will, uh, comes to us from Walt Whitman. And this quote I really, really admire. It says this, Re-examine all you have been told. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul. So, if I were to bend that concept to today's topic, I would say that there's nothing inappropriate about asking questions about the things that we have been taught, the things that we have been told, the traditional interpretations of Old Testament or New Testament passages. And to consider them, if you're a Christian, to consider them prayerfully, to take them to the Holy Spirit and dismiss whatever the Holy Spirit does not embrace. Dismiss those things which insult your soul. Because that is really where I think we find most of the disagreements in the church that are truly within the church over issues around things like capital punishment or uh, how to deal with abortion, homosexual rights, all those sorts of things come down to this notion of some Christians, I believe, have prayerfully taken their concerns, their questions to the Holy Spirit and dismissed those things where God incarnate through the form of the Holy Spirit God who's being sent as a paraclete to us, a comforter, an advisor, is providing that advice. And to me, the difference is there are so many in the church who not only don't listen to the advice, but would refuse under any circumstances to listen to the advice because of what might be described as the, well, the potential lack of certainty that's there. So when I talk about faith, I'm not talking about some rigid set of rules that can be pointed to. I'm talking about things which are unseen. The writer of the book of Hebrews describes it in that letter to the church universal as faith about being about the assurance of things hoped for, of things not seen. That entire concept implies a certain degree of uncertainty. Or, not to paint this into negative of a light, to me there is a certainty that comes from answered prayer. There's a certainty that comes from hearing the Holy Spirit. But we shouldn't be afraid if that tends to take us in a slightly different direction. So at the end of the last uh, Walk the Earth question, I made a point of saying that I wasn't sure I knew very many Christians who could tell you the date of Pentecost this year. But somewhere between the latter part of February and the middle part of March, there would be no problem finding Christians who could tell you when Easter Sunday was. Now, because Easter Sunday moves on the calendar every year based on the lunar calendar and when Passover is and some other factors, you can't necessarily know for sure when next year's Easter is going to be. I mean, Christmas is much easier. We celebrate it on December 25th. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Jesus wasn't actually born that day. But we as the world have decided that's the day, so we celebrate it on December 25th. But I don't know anybody, even right now as I'm recording in the very early part of May, who could tell me when Pentecost is, unless they are the uh, pastor of a church or the church secretary or the person responsible for putting together the bulletin or somebody who creates and prints Christian liturgical calendars for a living. It is just not that well-known of a date. I went out and looked, though, because I was curious, kind of asking the question online, when is the, what is the date of Pentecost 2015? And the answer I got back is Pentecost is going to be observed on Sunday, May 24th. We'll talk a little bit about how you get to Sunday, May 24th, and what the significance of 
Pentecost being at that point in time. But I will kind of say from a perspective of Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, I'm observing it early because I don't intend to focus on it on that weekend. To me, the weekend that culminates with Memorial Day this year, Monday, May 25th, is a day when I'm going to personally, in my personal life, going to focus more on my relationship with my wife. That's going to be a key anniversary weekend for us, and we will be away from church that Sunday because we'll be celebrating our relationship. And I feel very comfortable that the Holy Spirit is on board with that idea. But from a podcast perspective, I think what I may do is actually focus on Memorial Day itself. Because on previous occasions, when I've had a chance to speak to Memorial Day as as an American calendar holiday, I haven't done it. I've uh, let myself veer off into looking back at relationships or looking at other issues. So I may take a look at this concept of memorial as an idea. Meaning that if I want to talk about Pentecost, I need to do it now. So quickly, from a definition perspective, the first website I found was uh, called dayfinder.com, day-finder.com, and I'm on the Pentecost slash 2015 page, and it says this, uh, under the question of what is Pentecost, according to the ancient Israel calendar, Pentecost is the Greek name given for the Festival of Weeks, a major feast celebrating the giving of the Ten Commandments from God to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. In the Christian liturgical year, Pentecost is a feast celebrating the Holy Spirit's descent upon the Twelve Apostles. For the Eastern Church, Pentecost also refers to the entire 50-day period in between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. The word means the 50th day, because the Pentecost celebration occurs seven weeks or 50 days after Easter Sunday. Some Christians refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the Church. Jumping over to Wikipedia to kind of talk through what that reason might be, Wikipedia's page for Pentecost picks up there. It says, The feast is also called White Sunday or Whit Sunday, especially in England, where the following Monday is traditionally a public holiday. Pentecost is celebrated 50 days, or 49 in this case, uh, with the first day counted, or seven weeks after Easter Sunday. The Pentecostal movement in Christianity derives its name from this New Testament event. So the idea would be that in the Bible, in the Acts of the Apostles, second chapter, particularly verses 1 through 31, it talks about this coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was promised previously in John's Gospel. If you take a look at the Gospel of John, somewhere in chapters 15, 16, 17, that ballpark, you're going to see Jesus speaking a lot about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit being able to do things like provide comfort to Christians in times of doubt and need, um, but also even to the extent of being able to give Jesus's disciples who would become the apostles the words they would need to use if they were dragged before a court and called upon to testify. Later in the book of Acts, Paul kind of describes the Holy Spirit in some ways almost like a bit of a GPS guiding Paul on his missionary journeys, which directions to take, which turns to make, and which turns to avoid, even referring at one place to the Holy Spirit preventing them from going into Asia Minor, because the Lord was calling Paul instead to veer toward Greece and eventually toward Rome. So the Holy Spirit playing this advisory role. And I would say that when we talk about Christians reading Scripture and reading Scripture prayerfully, That difference between someone reading the Bible as if it were simply an academic text, a a piece of anthropology to be studied, or 
reading the Bible from the perspective of disbelief, looking for arguments and objections, or even truly reading the Bible from the perspective of the opposite of that view, the the true credulity view, looking to the Bible for justifications and defenses. If instead you read the Bible with and through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might just provide insights, the kind of insights that would lead Jesus to say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you this instead. That sort of relationship between the Christian and the Holy Spirit, mirroring the relationship that Jesus had within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you cut the legs off the Holy Spirit, metaphorically speaking, you've essentially denied essential Christian doctrine. You've denied things that John's Gospel explicitly states. You're denying Scripture by denying the Holy Spirit in this manner because Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. and talks about the Holy Spirit objectively from himself. So the Holy Spirit is God being God, playing a the role of God in the life of the believer, but not being the same as Jesus, any more than Jesus refers to himself as being the same as God the Father. Those distinctions being the heart of what Christians maintain as a Trinitarian view of the one God. So, serious business. Jesus speaking about it. Offering the Holy Spirit as the thing that will save the early church as it goes through a time of struggle and even persecution. I take the Holy Spirit that seriously, and I do so just from Scripture alone. But here's the interesting thing. I've walked through some quotes, I've shared some references and some resources, I've read from the Sermon on the Mount and the Bible, I've talked a little bit about what um, you know academic definitions, Wikipedia, I provided the date that I didn't have in the previous recording of May 24th, 2015, but that's not really the story. And I don't know if I'll have time to do the story justice in this particular Walk the Earth. It might be enough for me to say for now that when I look at the question whether the Holy Spirit deserves more recognition as God working in our lives, the answer is a resounding yes. In fact, it's a disappointment to me that in some corners of the church, the Holy Spirit is not referenced or considered at all, is not taken seriously at all. To me, as a Christian, if you do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you are not at least pursuing one, I'm not sure you're actually living Christianly. And yet so often we hear a Christian worldview being referenced by politicians, in some cases, who are talking strictly about the Bible alone or Scripture alone, and the Old Testament in particular. That's a very far cry away from Jesus in the New Testament, giving example after example after example of ways that the traditions of the church should be reconsidered in light of the leading of the Holy Spirit, then promising that Holy Spirit's leadership and in the Acts of the Apostles, story after story of the Holy Spirit delivering upon that promise. What is my relationship with the Holy Spirit? If it's not enough to just say the answer is yes and move on, I think what I might do as a form of shorthand, and you could call it a cop-out if you wanted to, but I'm going to use it as a form of shorthand, is refer to the backstory and then speak specifically to the Holy Spirit around that backstory. Because it isn't like I haven't spoken about some of this before on Inappropriate Conversations. In Inappropriate Conversations 44, I spoke about sacred friendship. That's available on the website. I believe I posted it around the end of January 2011. I came along a year later, and that year is not a coincidence. 
this is a time and place, a date, if you will, that's kind of important to me. So if I jump forth to the uh, late late part of January, and uh, Inappropriate Conversation 79, a farewell address from the Mexican mountains, and especially the one right after it in February, number 80, I just called it, "'Tis far better to say something that should not be said than not to say something that should be said." But I probably just called it Revelation Weekend for an episode title. And finally, there are more. Uh, I talk about a little bit of the same story in Inappropriate Conversations 90, Moments of Epiphany. That came later the same year, the end of May. But the one I want to mention, just to kind of cap it off, was the concept of where would I be without God? I spoke to that question in Inappropriate Conversations 117, and in particular 118, those coming out in the month of April 2013. So for three years running, I used the Inappropriate, the Inappropriate Conversations podcast to speak to what I would describe as the backstory here. And any other point in time when I've mentioned uh, relationships between genders, intersexual friendship is what I call it, or sacred friendship, I'm talking about that same thing. Because even in interview shows elsewhere, I made a kind of a cryptic reference to it when I was interviewed by Take Him With You a year or so ago. And even before that, on the Tech Support Rich show, which can be found at uh, simplysyndicated.com, I mentioned it there as well, and I talked a little bit about it there. To me, I feel like I have received an answer to prayer before. And to receive an answer to prayer, an answer that I would describe as for want of a better word, so loud and so clear that it was unmistakable. It was as if I thought maybe other people in the room had heard it too, that it should have been heard by others if they were paying attention as I was, that I asked a specific question, a what would you have me do now, Lord, kind of question, and I got an answer. To me, that's the Holy Spirit. There was no other way to describe it other than an interaction with the Holy Spirit. And what I've told people who have asked me, uh, you know, things questioning and challenging my faith, whether within the church, challenging the veracity of it, because I have uh, views about social issues that differ from theirs, or outside of the church, because people perceive that I have views on social issues and political issues that are different from what they hear from other Christians. The question of whether or not I'm a believer has nothing to do with what somebody's interpretation of the Old Testament might be or somebody's understanding of what Jesus did on the cross and what it meant. No, I have, ha- I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that at some point in my life led to an answer to prayer. And that answer to prayer turned a corner, made a difference, addressed what had been for me a lingering five or six year issue, challenging my faith, closing that loop. Answering that question means that in some ways I feel like I have had a Saul on the road to Damascus type of experience. I've had not a burning bush type of experience, but as close as I ever expect to get in this lifetime. Certainly the kind of experience that begs the question, of course there's a God, because I have heard an answer to prayer. Now, interestingly, that answer was, it's far better to say something that should not be said than not to say something that should be said. In context, it said, Greg, in this situation that you're in right now, you have got to speak up. The problem you're facing, the issue you're dealing with, has come from your silence, and your silence is a mistake. If you say something, and it's misinterpreted, or if you're reading the scenario wrong, and and you embarrass yourself, you can always apologize for what you've said. 
But at that moment in my life, at that particular point in time, I have absolutely no doubt that not speaking up would put would have put in the wheels in motion on a situation that I'm not sure you could apologize for later. If what might have happened instead did happen, I don't know how you come back and say, yeah, I kind of knew that was a possibility and I'm sorry I didn't speak up. There's some things that you just can't apologize for. So the, the situation for me there was, go ahead and say what needs to be said. Speak up. It's far better to say something that should not be said than not to say something that should be said. Now, I'm not naive. I don't want that piece of advice that I got in an answer to a prayer in early February in the late 1980s to be taken by anyone as some new dogma, as some new rule that we all have to follow. Words can do tremendous harm. But here's the thing. I think that if I take to the Holy Spirit all of the things that are concerning me, all of the things I've been told that I have doubts about, and dismiss whatever insults my soul, there are hateful words I'm not going to exchange with somebody who is not in a position to hear them because of decisions she's made about childbearing or because of questions related to sexual orientation or simply the bullying that gets extended to people over the issue of sexual orientation, regardless of their sexual orientation, I think you're much less likely, if you are in touch with God's Spirit and listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say, you're much less likely to lead somebody through your insensitive words to end it all, to decide there's no hope for them, to decide that God has no place for them in his kingdom. And yet, that's happening on a regular basis in schools, in some churches, and certainly in some families. These are people who are not examining what they've been told, and they're not listening to the Holy Spirit if they do. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit on that day at that time told me, you better speak up. Your silence is becoming a problem. But on another day, the Holy Spirit has, without any doubt, told me, now's not the time to say anything. Bite your lip. Wait until you understand. Seek first to understand others before you ask to be understood or expect people to understand or understand you and take whatever you might say at your word. Like that prison ministry that I was engaged in years ago. Listen, listen, love, love. Speak isn't in. It isn't in the mantra. If after listening twice and loving twice, there is something to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words, just as Jesus promised in John's Gospel, and just as Peter and others, John, I believe, experienced firsthand in the book of Acts, dragged before the Sanhedrin, not knowing what they were going to say beforehand, but finding the words to say and being able to speak boldly because the words weren't their words. Now, I know there's some people who are outside the church, because I've already mentioned there's some Christians inside the church who just don't have any time for this idea of God's Spirit. But there's certainly people outside the church who would say, well, no, if, if those apostles just knew the right thing to say when they were interrogated you know, for their faith, it's simply that they knew the right things to say. And if they suggest to you that they didn't have the words, or they didn't have the faith, or they didn't have the knowledge, they're just kidding themselves. That we only use... 3 to 10 to 12% of our brains when it comes to cognitive function and this type of interactions. And yeah, maybe they just tapped into 20% more than the rest. Maybe they just, they got an insight, but it was their insight. It was biologically them. But I think that humanity is more complex than that. None of us really believes that we are just 
a set of tissues that most of us, uh, at least from an intuitive perspective, uh, and I think therefore I am perspective, have some sense that there's something to us beyond just blood pumping through veins. So if you think about a person being at least two things, I'm going to talk about a person being three things, a body and a, and a mind and a spirit, or a body and a soul and a spirit. That third piece is the, the Holy Spirit. It's that relationship of God with the individual. And some people are only functioning as body and mind, strictly physiologically. Many people within the church, in fact, are only functioning in a strictly physiological way. But even if you wanted to say that, no, whatever ideas you have, if you say those weren't of you, those were of the Lord, I'm just going to listen to whatever you say, dismiss it completely, and interpret everything that you're telling me as if it's really just you. And the only thing I can tell people who don't have any experience of faith, who fall outside this, or perhaps have an adversarial view toward it, is that I can divide inspiration with total confidence into two camps. There is inspiration that came from my own processes, my own thought processes, my own education, my own experiences. And then there have been times in my life, moments of inspiration that came from a completely different place from that. If the only way you can sleep at night, interacting directly with somebody that I would describe as a devout Christian, I would describe myself as a devout Christian, is to view that secondary form of inspiration as still me, but just a different part of me. I guess I'll smile and nod and let it happen. Uh, I don't know how I can persuade anybody who can't truly walk in my shoes to know that what I'm saying is true. I would say this, however, just on this topic. To suggest that I'm lying poses a bigger question about our friendship and our relationship than anything else we might discuss about the Lord. So if you grant that I'm telling you the truth, and you allow in your mind the opportunity to segregate some ideas as being Greg's ideas and some ideas as being Greg's inspiration that he doesn't acknowledge as his own ideas. Okay, we can meet there on those terms. I will just tell you that my my perspective on it, and it's a perspective born out of genuine experience, is that that other thing is not just some other compartmentalized part of Greg. That other thing is the Holy Spirit living, breathing, and living inside the heart, if you will, of believers. And it is for this reason that I believe that the Holy Spirit has not been given anywhere near the recognition as God working in our lives, not within the church, and certainly not from the outside. And that, for me, is a resounding yes. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, you know Holy Spirit, you know that my relationship with you goes above and beyond my relationship with anyone else. Lord, it doesn't matter to me if I worship side by side with people who do not acknowledge the role that you play in our lives. It certainly doesn't matter to me that somebody who is not part of the church or perhaps is even hostile toward the church takes this part of who I am, this part of who we are together, Lord, and dismisses it completely. It is ours in a way that few other things could be described as ours. It is ours in a way not unlike my relationship with my wife creating a marriage is ours. Whether anyone believes the documentation that they can find in a courtroom in the middle part of the country or not. So, Lord, help me to respect, well, really the deep, the deep meaning of that. 
help me to continue to listen. Even if the questions are as simple as, should I go now? Or should I stick this conversation out just a little bit further? Or as profound as the one that I asked February 7th, 1987, at 1.37 a.m. Central Time, the one that you answered, Lord. And I thank and praise you for that. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.